Welcome to the Everesting Podcast, Built by Quarry. In this episode, I'm interviewing Tom Townsend, and if the name Tom, uh, Townsend sounds familiar, that is because Tom is Guy Townsend's son, so that's Sir Guy Lightspeed, who has made multiple appearances on the Everesting Podcast. Uh, Tom and I have a chat about a recent, very fast 10K Rome that he completed, as well as previous Everestings, how he got so hooked on ultra-endurance cycling, um, and also, uh, importantly, overcoming some massive adversities. So this is a great episode. I hope you really enjoy it. Tom was super fun to talk to. He's really only just getting started out, I believe, uh, in his in his exploits on the bike. So hopefully we'll have Tom back soon. Tom, thanks so much for doing this. And uh, everybody, thank you for listening. A quick note from our sponsor, the State Bicycle Company. They have an offer available for you. It's to use code AUDIO100, so AUDIO100, and that's going to give you $100 off any one of their bicycles. They have bicycles starting at $399 US, so that is a significant discount. Check them out at statebicycle.com. Thanks for tuning into this episode. First of all, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm oh, joined right. by Thank you very much for having me. Tom Townsend, who is fresh off or pretty fresh off a yeah. uh 10k Rome which you did you covered uh look I've got the numbers here 10,190 meters yeah of elevation gain in 478 kilometers with a moving time of 1921 and an elapsed time of 2218 so I think there's a very I think we can probably count on one hand how many Romes there are in the Hall of Fame that are sub 24 hours yeah. I, like I mean I think a Rome's uh, amazing and really really hard to begin with but you've just some it, it seems to be coming at the, it's a, becoming a thing now that people are foregoing sleep and just trying to crack out the whole thing in one shot yeah uh, you threw your hat into that ring in a big <laughs> way you also burned strava estimated that you burned eighteen thousand calories in 22 hours which is yeah insane so what i also i made a note with this is when you use a power meter it tracks how many you're burning right so strava always adds a bit on to the the kilojoule count with a power meter is basically your calories burned. So I, I think the kilojoules was 16,000. And then the way Strava does the maths, not to go into it because it's a bit, it's a bit dull, but yeah, about 16 to 18,000, which is quite a lot of food to eat on a, on a big bike ride. <laughs> yeah, definitely. How much, how much do you think you ate during that period of time? About half that? Probably, uh, yeah, probably 10. Um, and I've got much better at not eating or eating less when I started these big rides when I was less fat adapted and off racing I basically had to replace everything it was carnage whereas now having done 18 months of it I've, my body's definitely better at fat um, I can get away with eating more manageable carbs but I still think I was around I'll be around the two kilos of carbs mark which is just ridiculous it's probably a I'm probably burning about 100 to 120 grams of carbs an hour somewhere in that range um, and I don't know if you've been following the racing recently about the carb talk that like Yumbo, for example, they've started to, they've been like, yeah, we're not at 90 anymore, 120. And I, cause I remember doing this last year and I was like, well, there's no way I'm at 90. Like, if I was at 90, I'm bonking. I'm at 120. I know I'm at 120 cause I'm counting them. So the human body can clearly handle more than that. Cause I, I could tell. So it's interesting that they've, they've caught up basically you can now see in the programs is they're like we're not at 90 anymore because that doesn't do it um and that's particularly applicable when you go past six hours is you're then having to replace the carbs you're using you're not running on stores you can stock up on beforehand 
Right. So you're right. You're, there's a limitation to how much glycogen you can store. Right? Yeah. So if you start with four or 500 grams, if I'm burning 130 an hour in middle of zone two, then or top of zone two, then that's like three and a half hours of stores. So the back 16 hours are all what you're eating on the go, which is why, like, if you're if you're pushing quite high power, which I would be to do a ride like that in one go, you're having to eat a ridiculous amount of food. It's it's a it's a it's a challenge, and picking the right food is is tricky. It's a bit of a minefield. Um, totally. Well, actually, that's it. I mean, I I wasn't intending to start there, but I'd love to know what yeah. what you were what you were eating, and you've I'm assuming you feel pretty well practiced at, at what to bring and what your gut tolerates. Yeah. Well. So I've probably done like probably 30 rides above like the 10 hour mark since the beginning of last year when I started doing these and what I've realized is like on the go at the longer you get into it the easier it needs to be um and really on the go I only eat so this is a is it's I've changed so many people's opinions with this but I eat basically only sweets on the bike really yeah pretty much because anything more than that and after five hours particularly like my stomach is not fat um and obviously you can only eat so many sweets so i stop every, when i've stopped to refuel every four or five hours i have something more man more for like filling so i'll have like flapjack or another one i have is cake a lot but i have like cake that i know is high carb low fat so something like jamaican ginger cake that was a classic is I'll stop. I have an entire Jamaican ginger cake and that's like 150 grams of carbs and 20 grams of fat um, or like a thousand calories of flapjack. It does kind of the same thing. Um, and because that is the only way to do it, you just need just such a ridiculous amount of food. Um, and that like gives me a bit of a buffer where I'm not having to eat hundred grams of sweets an hour because I just it make you feel sick way before you normally do. Um, so that's kind of how I do it is I mix the savory off the bike, the sweet on the bike. And if I was doing an ultra or something, I probably would have to eat the savory on the bike, like, like a timed ultra, but because I've not done one of them yet, I'm not having to cross that bridge, but I'm sure I will at some point, but that would just be another level of tricky because it's hard enough eating them off the bike. <laughs> what about fatigue? So you're, I mean, you're pushing really hard and for it's, it's hard to do anything for 24 hours in a row. Yeah hard to sit at a desk for 24 hours right? <laughs> so are you using caffeine or is that something that's practiced well yeah so i'm quite i'm quite dependent on coffee as it is so like i will basically every stop i'll have either a soft drink or or a coffee and then because what i found actually is after like midnight let's say of the next day i when you would be going to sleep it takes because my body is kind of screwed it doesn't just fall asleep like it doesn't want to go to sleep i remember last year my biggest one i i i got home at two and i couldn't actually fall asleep till four because my body was just so wired and that's another thing is like i don't i would never stop on a hrs i don't think it's until about 30 hours that you start to get really sleep deprived and i just feel horrific the next day like if i'm pushing 250 during comfortably like 210 is a struggle the next day so i actually think i feel worse after stopping and going to sleep and so letting I, your body cool down yeah and exactly just mode. it's just it's like it switches off once i once i've had a had a sleep it's like okay i'm done now i can imagine that first hour or two on the second day if you have a sleep is is really challenging getting out the door must be tough yeah uh, 
So you had a pretty steady drip of caffeine pretty much. Yeah, I must have had 800 milligrams, like way above the recommended limit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm really sending the caffeine. You really ramp it up. Um, So yeah, my favorite is the the double coffee with two espressos in it. And I'll have like four of them, five of them in a day. I'm I'm very like, I have a high limit of caffeine, probably too much. (laughs) But then it obviously takes more to get the hit and... Um, right right that's the problem with caffeine is once you're addicted it's very tricky to not be addicted anymore and then you just have to do more and more and but on the bike i'll definitely keep it coming in yeah i've I've had a number of people tell me that they quit caffeine for a few weeks or a month leading up to an event so that that the effect is stronger and apparently it works really well but i i just can't i can't i can't even go with that is like if i quit caffeine like my training definitely takes a hit what and how how i feel in the day it, it depends on how addicted you are before i guess i think the best way to do it would be like come off it slowly so you you need less to get the big hit so you're not for me really. <laughs> right but i can do i was like there's no way i could come off it completely i'd be a, i'd be a dependent no. again <laughs> me too me too I've, I've, I've considered all of the potential um, marginal gains that i can yeah. access i'm just going to leave that one alone for right now yeah i I think it's it's good for like short events like like a time trial or a race but i think for the ultra stuff it's trickier to to get it right you just i just supply constantly throughout rather than worry about because the big caffeine hit you can't keep it going for 36 hours i feel like that might be pushing it a little bit normally you can do it you can do a big spike before a short event as far as i'm aware anyway i mean I would push it for an extended period. That's right. Okay, well, let me before. let me go back in time a little bit and uh, tell me yeah, yeah. how you got how you got well, I get carried away when when So tell me how you got so hooked on cycling to begin with. I think that it probably has a decent amount to do with your dad and some yeah. it that way. So I always played loads of sports at school um, until I was like 15, but I never really liked like the team stuff and the skill-based sports always always annoyed me the way that I could like put in a certain amount of time and it's very hard to quantify it I've always been quite numbers and a bit obsessive and a bit driven on something I like to control and then so my dad got me in at 15 and I started riding and he got all of us in so my brother and my sister as well but I was the only one that like really stuck at it um and then I just really liked the times on Strava was obviously the way that I started and it's very easy to get hooked on progress um because it's very easy to see in a way that like team sports like hockey or rugby it's much harder to see direct progress i quite like the the quantitative progress um and i got power meter and then it just kind of spirals from there as you realize you train more and you get faster and then you train more and get faster and you do cooler things and then care on strong and then racing and it was kind of spiraled and i was kind of hooked as as soon as i started so you were racing you were racing pretty shortly after you got started 2019 so i did three years of not racing and i kind of justified that third year because that was when i did my final year of school which is like your big it was my big exams to get into university so i was kind of like i don't really need to add racing in here i've probably kind of got enough on as it is and i quite like like because i'm quite internally driven i don't really need that external carrot um the strava segments were enough for me and pushing more power than i've done before that was kind of how i motivated myself um so i didn't start racing but then i realized that i was fast enough that i really should be racing 
Um, and so I got in touch with my dad, put me in contact with a coach that is ex-British national champ, and that kind of got me into the racing scene. Um, and that's kind of how I got into the racing bit. So four years, this was quite a long time. So race now racing and ultra endurance riding are so different. Were, yeah, yeah. were you always interested in the ultra endurance side also? Yeah. So before I raced, I did a few big rides with my dad. So in, if I started riding in 2015, first racing, the start of 2019, I did, I did an Everesting in 2017. Um, me and my dad went out to the south of France and Everest, the highest road in Europe, the highest through road in Europe, the Col de la Bonnet. Um, and we did a couple of 200 miles and I always liked that. I, cause I, it's like, I always liked that personal challenge and then the, the big feeling of accomplishment at the end, um, which is why I didn't get into racing sooner, really. Like I, I, I saw the appeal, but then I also wasn't that bothered. Like I quite like the personal challenge. Um, so I, I Everested way back six years ago now. That's quite a long time. <laughs> what any anything pre-COVID is like your your, your yeah. 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 So I was still in I was in first year of sixth form. So still with a year to go at school and now I've graduated uni, so a while ago. Yeah. Um I've been and the, I quite like doing those big rides, especially with my dad before I because it took me three or four years to become quite fast. So we were at pretty similar speed and doing, I think we rode, we did 335k across the UK, which was, was pretty cool. And back when like I would, I would really suffer and my dad would kind of pull me through, um, <laughs> how, how times have changed, but it was, it was good fun. Um, and I, that personal challenge and that feeling of accomplishment when you do it, I think that's the special bit with the ultras that you get in racing, but only if you win. Or top five it or top ten it whereas ultras if you get to the finish you want yeah uh, it's for everybody that way right yeah yeah exactly and everyone has their own benchmark of ultra like what is ultra to me is not ultra for mark beaumont or what's ultra for me is not ultra for the average person that works full-time job and hasn't really been the bike before and that right. being an accomplishment is the attractive bit for that the sort of personal challenge that you can set yourself i think that's what's very cool about this sort of thing the the Everest things and the ultras is um, the feeling of accomplishment you get when you've done it. Yeah, and the Ever Everest things specifically is so cool because it's it's DIY nature, right? Yeah. And then every whole creative route planning, and if you're at all obsessive about maps, um, which I yeah. think is kind of what got me into it so much, it's just yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the perfect challenge for that. Yeah, because I did geography at uni. I've always oh, loved my map. Oh yeah, I will spend. My girlfriend gets really, really annoyed at me when I sit there for two hours plotting this next ten k route that I'm not even going to do. I, <laughs> I, I just like plotting it, so I just plot away, and she's just, she's just looking at me like, "What are you doing? Not another one. You're not going to do it." But I'm I like, know. But I could do it. Imagine if I did it. That would be really cool. If I link these climbs up that way, and that got me to ten thousand meters, that would be very cool. So I, I really like that, and I think because I knew that everything was more manageable and more controlled. I quite like, because I'm, I've been doing it a while and I got to that point, I was like, well, the 10 K Rome, that's really big. That'd be a proper challenge. So let's go for that one. Um, it is. Yeah. So on now on your way to this most recent 10 K and I, and I want to hear about your planning of it because I, I'm sure you're pretty meticulous about it. I yeah, yeah. 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 But you, you've overcome two, significant setbacks um, yeah 
in in cycling um, and both both of them happened on the bike right what was one in a race and one in training two yeah two one was in training so these are good stories i'll get a few winces um in 2019 in september i got hit by a car and broke my neck my pelvis my collarbone both my cheekbones uh lots of brain hemorrhages i see airlifted to hospital icu parents told that i probably wouldn't make it um and then woke up three days later but then i can speak about it quite freely because i don't remember any of it like last thing i remember before was an hour before in the ride and the first thing i remember afterwards is three days later waking up in hospital um so that was the and, and people were telling basically filling in the gaps and telling you what happened. yeah so i had no idea um and since there were witnesses so i've talked to witnesses that saw it and were there on the scene when it happened and it's it's almost like talking about someone that had someone else that had it happen because i have no recollection so that's what the big scars across my face i split i split it to here um so that was i got hit by a car that pulled across me um descending a hill so my strava file uh was it was 30 mile an hour impact over the over the bonnet so that was not a good one um but i made it through and i was relatively good like I remember even like a week into hospital, I was telling everyone, like, I'm fine, like, stop, this is ridiculous, R mentally, relatively. Um, and I came back and then I started racing again. And then, co then COVID happened, actually, of course it did. Um, so then the Strava segments got taken to a whole nother level because that was when before I was doing ultras. Um, so I go out and I just took all the Strava comms around North Devon in particular um, in the UK. So that was my main focus coming back from that, that was your recovery that, that was my recovery is how many strava comms can i get through covid and i remember because i obviously i wanted to race but being quite internally driven and not mass invested in the racing like i sort of did it because everyone told me i probably should race because i was quite fast um and i remember like i quite like the strava comms because it's just me and me setting my own target and me getting to decide exactly what i do and push myself to the limit and see what I can do. And so looking back now with what I currently do with the ultras, it's like it's exactly the same thing. I've just changed the changed the discipline. Um so that's that's where I was. And then the second crash was in 2021, uh when racing started again after COVID. I hit a pothole in a race, went over the bars, landed on my head, more brain hemorrhages, and I fractured my skull. Yeah, I know, two sets of brain hemorrhages, not, not a good combo. <laughs> it's not very often you hear about brain hemorrhages. Um, and then that was another another uh, air ambulance incident. Um, they sent out the doctor, but because I was so close to the hospital, because it was in a race in Bristol, which is a city in the UK, um, they just they blue lighted me to hospital obviously but i had the doctors on the scene because they knew that i was quite bad so again i've talked to witnesses and apparently i was unconscious for like an hour or so like immobile which is a long time talking to doctors is like anything more than five or ten minutes is a really long time um and so that one is definitely the worst head injury so i don't have any recollection of hospital i have all these funny things i posted on instagram when i was begging my dad for my phone back in hospital and i sent to people and i have lots of selfies of me with my face completely bashed in um 
so that was quite cool. <laughs> well, cool is probably the wrong word, but yeah, I just I remember I had three kids, so I can yeah. things yeah. perspective a little more. So I got discharged, um, and then I have a WhatsApp I sent to my mum of me getting discharged, which is a picture of the front of the hospital, and I put apparently I was in hospital, but this is no longer the case, so don't worry. And now, in hindsight, I've talked to my dad, and apparently I was being sarcastic, but I can't remember sending that message, so. <laughs> that's the that's the sort of thing I was doing um and I just remember waking up at home because they discharged me because there was nothing they could do for me because it's just a recovery so if my parents watched me 24 7 it's just time so then I just remember waking up at home 14 days later so two weeks of zero memory which is which is quite a long time yeah yeah so the first thing I remember before the accident was the day before as well so like when you hear about people like losing half an hour I lost two weeks which is a really long time um so yeah i've had i've had the run in with the crashes i'm very good at hitting my head it would seem <laughs> wow wow yeah. wow okay and and you but you seem like you're i mean in terms of your athletic performance you seem like you're absolutely all the way back yeah athletically definitely like my threshold, it, I haven't trained threshold in ages, but my power is the same and my ultra is way better. Um, so after both crashes, though, I took a year off uni. So it took me five years to do my three-year degree, which is a, was a, which is a special one. Um, and I've just... Have like, great I have good reasons. Yeah, when you tell people why, I, I get a bit of sympathy. Um, and so I've just finished my degree finally after five years. So now I have to become a real adult and and get a proper job which is quite scary. Oh, yeah. that's the that's the, that's the yeah, I, i'm done the milking done milking the cycling and being semi full-time um but yeah it was it was good to finally finish the degree after five years and yeah but well congratulations yeah. on that yes thank you thank so, you when you looked to do this one did you know right away that you wanted to try and get it under 24 hours that was the plan no stops yeah, yeah. Or no, no, no sleep stops. No yeah. sleeps, yeah. And I try and minimize the stops. So, like, I eat and then I go. Like, I don't faff when I stop. And somehow even it's, it gets up to three hours because if you're stopping every four, which is roughly two bottles, maybe three to four, that's still six stops. And so 20 minutes or 30 minutes to stop, 20 minutes to stop with peas in between, that's three hours is still quite a long time. Like, I when I look at... When I look at like Mark, I know if you're familiar with Mark Beaumont, who's at the ultra. When when I look at it, like he stopped for 15 minutes on North Coast 500 in the UK, went which is a 36-hour route, and I'm like, how on earth do you do that? That is next level. Um, which is you do, quite cool. You, you learn to do that by averaging 400 kilometers for uh, 89 straight or 87 straight days. I think. Yeah, he this clearly got very drilled into it, which. And that's where, like, this is what the other cool thing about ultras, I think, is, like, what I'd say to people is, like, there, there's always another level. So, like, most people find, like, an Everest really impressive. Like, the average person, you tell them you did that, and you're like, what? That, like, that's ridiculous. How on earth do you do that? And then you look at my rise, and you're like, that might be even more impressive. And then you look at Mark Beaumont, and you're like, how on earth do you do that? And I think that's what's very rewarding about this sort of thing as well is, like, it's very self-driven and there's always another level to go to if you want to and you have the time. Totally. Um, like I just, I just yesterday, so this is topical news. It's uh, August 3rd. This today that we're recording this 
and I just saw a posted yesterday in the um, the Health 500 Facebook page that somebody did yeah. a seven time Everesting. Yeah, I saw that, and then I looked at the file, and he stopped for only forty hours and one hundred and fifty. I'm like, that's a so that's a four. I did the math, and it was eight Everests, I think, if I'm correct. So that's fourteen and a half moving per Everest, which is pretty far. What do you think? Because it was seventy one thousand meters. Yeah, like when you're doing eight of them, pretty fast. Like, um. I know, I like that. That's as relatable to me as going to Mars. Like yeah. I have to go. <laughs> it's like my ride's really impressive. I I finished that 10k and I'm like, how? I'm not sure I could do more than that. And then you look at that one, and you're like, well, my ride is very average in comparison to that. So what should I do next? <laughs> it's a, it's a, I've said this multiple times on this podcast that even hosting it and just being even aware of this community is such a humbling exercise. It's... Yeah, I think it's very good at grounding you and it makes you realize like you can't blag it. In, in racing, you quite often get egos and things like that. Whereas the ultra endurance community and doing ultras is very good at facing you because when you crack, there is no hiding from the crack. Like you just have to rule five and get on with it basically. And totally. you can't blag it. It just, it just hurts and you've just got to push through and like yeah you can't bite off more than you can chew because it comes back to get you when you're 400k in and you still got another 200 to go um and i think that that's another thing that's really cool about this sort of thing is like i've always in racing particularly you get it a lot is people that talk a big game and but you don't get that in ultras everyone's very based because everyone's gone through that i've got another six hours to go and i'm not sure i can do that and somehow i got through like it's very good at like grounding you definitely uh, definitely cool. so now you did 478k you only need to do 400 so were you trying to trim that up to, to get it closer to 400 for the so sake of speed that's another or, thing or like, like the fruit so i i based that route so i five years in i was my final place my university place was it's a city called durham um, and it's probably it's in the north of England where there are lots of very cool climbs. Um, and I wanted to kind of do as many of them as possible to round off my final big ride. Um, and I knew that because I'm quite strong, I can get away with going over the limit um, a bit and include more of the really cool climbs and push the distance a bit to have more of the flatlands basically to get between really cool climbs. Um, whereas if so, that was kind of how I did that as I probably had three 50 to 60k flat transfers between national parks um because i wanted to include different climbs across the north of england rather than just like short distances between climbs just to get the meters basically um and that's kind of like a as i knew i was capable of doing more than 400k and so like if i was advising someone that's never done one before you would always try and trim it as close to 400 as you can to get the numbers was because I knew that I could probably push it more than that. Is I was like, well, I really want to do, it's called the Fred Witten in the UK, which is like the most famous sportive, as anyone from the UK would know what that is, is I really want to do that route. And then I really want to go up Great Dunfell, which is the highest road in England. So I, I really want to do that as well. And I know there's flatlands between there, but they're both really cool. So I'm going to include both of them. And then I kind of want to go to the Yorkshire Dales and there's more flat, but that would be really cool as well. So I kind of, as I knew, it would push the distance a bit, but because the climbs were so cool and it was my last ride in Durham. I sort of wanted to push or include those different climbs. So it's kind of a trade-off. 
So when we first got on the call, you you mentioned that you were planning another one. So what are you <laughs> what are you trying to do differently, uh, or or are you just or just recalibrating the adventure, or are you trying to go faster? Are you are you doing anything different in road planning? So this is the thing is I'm trying to currently work out like because I was pretty beaten up at the end of the last one at the end of that 480k just for some as I talked like I'm it was fine and it was okay but like I felt sick for a solid 36 hours afterwards like I remember the next day I would still have to eat a bit and then stop and wait and then eat a bit more like this is not it wasn't straightforward is it, it was quite hard in that last hour or last three four hours as I remember because normally what I do is I stop and eat something solid uh, with about seven or eight hours to go is like I was no longer doing that I was just eating the sweets because anything solid would it would make you feel queasy and so when I think back to that I'm like well I think I could do more but how would it be fun is like mm. but I've got a few that I think I want to try there's one uh I've been meaning to do one where I'm currently near Manchester which is 410,000 meters and trying to do all of the I don't know if you've heard of the official 100 climbs in the UK um it's like a it's a book of 100 of the most famous climbs in the UK it's very well recognized if anyone anyone from the UK will know what that is and I'm just going to try and include as many of them as possible um but the weather's just been rubbish I've got another one uh in the southwest which is 550 and 11,000 meters and that's obviously more um and I think I could do it uh probably probably beat myself up a bit but it's definitely possible so i might i might give it a go when i go down there um would you, would you do that one without sleep as well if you could that yeah would cool. I, that would probably be that that would be that would probably be the next one the next obvious step um but i know that the last one beat me up pretty hard so <laughs> i think if i did it again because but the bit that screws you when you're really fit i think this is a bit of a if anyone's really anyone's really well trained is the bit that gets them is that time above i don't know if you're familiar with the power zones or like the training right. zone yeah so zone two is generally really sustainable like if you just sit in zone two your body will go forever basically as long you as you keep giving it enough fuel exactly so you're not gonna you're not gonna cause real damage um like i remember i did 14 hours in zone two and felt fine at the end because it was flat so it's different ride but um, if you sit in zone two and you don't spike to zone three and zone four, you're basically okay. You can just keep going. Um, and you don't start to feel sick and you don't, all those, all those side effects don't really come about. Whereas as soon as you start going up climbs that mean you have to go into zone three, zone four, zone five, you start to stress your intent, like your body basically. Um, and you start to get those side effects like feeling sick and all the rest of it. So what i would probably do is if i did another one i will try and keep it more manageable in terms of the gradient of the climbs quite a lot of the climbs i did um in this 480k 10,000 meters were above 25 percent and i was kind of including them because yeah so one of them is the worst climb in the uk known as uh hard knot and it was it was brave to include it because it means you have to do I was in above threshold for five minutes, which is not ideal in a 18 hour ride or 19 hour ride, but I wanted to do it as if you were trying to really push the distance and do 600k and 14,000 meters, you would try and keep everything in zone two so that you're, you're not setting that stress response off in your body. Um, I think that would be the key bit that I would 
climbing dependent. Obviously, the one I've plotted in Devon has loads of twenty five percent climbs because I they're the ones that are famous, and so I wanted to do them. But I know that's it's asking for trouble. If you were trying to push the distance, you would keep the climbs manageable. Um, right. But it's a trade off between how cool are the climbs and how manageable is the, how manageable is the is the target. Well, I'm going to be following along. I promise you that. So I'm I'm following yeah. you now on Strava, and I'm going to be watching uh, watching it really closely. So thank you very much for making the time to do this, Tom. No, that's all right. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I hope I can have you back. Yes, that would be very kind. I would I would love that because it's been a lot of fun. I like talking about my big rides <laughs> and talking oh, about how to do good. them and what you can do and how you can push the distance and the elevation because yeah it makes me happy and gives me gives me that purpose why i'm a bike again which is which is good fun a lot of people are going to enjoy hearing it so thanks yeah for doing that's it. very kind thank you very much pete thanks tom appreciate it take care Thank you again to Tom and thank you again to everybody who's been tuning into the show and listening. That is greatly appreciated. We know there's lots of great podcasts out there. So for you to be able to take a little bit of time to listen to ours uh, means a lot. If you're able to give us a positive rating or review on whatever podcast platform you're finding the show, that goes a long way to help us find new listeners. Thanks so much and we'll be back soon.